Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. All right, well, happy Mother's Day to our moms. I, uh, I said that in first service, not knowing what awaited our family, but I'm just going to be honest and tell you what happened. I walked out the door of first service, and they were like, hey, Mark, your daughter just threw up. And I said, all right, happy Mother's Day, right? So my, uh, my wife is at home already with uh, one of our children playing the, uh, the, the sick child game, and nothing is more fitting of the role of a, of a mom, the, the love and sacrifice and, and uh, lack of ability to celebrate a holiday that's even about her, right? That's, uh, that's basically what being a mom is about. So uh, maybe, maybe we'll try again next year, I guess, in the Art Trip family, but that's, that's uh, what awaits us. And um, I thought as we uh, are on the, the topic of Mother's Day, I wanted to uh, tell you guys a little bit about my, my uh, parents today. My parents' names are Ron and Jeannie. You know how fun it is to call your parents by their real names, right? So uh, I want to take you to the, uh, the Ron and Jeannie Art Trip School of Money and tell you real quick just how they view uh, money, how they, how they view their finances, and, and how they uh, raise me to, to do the same. Now, some of these things are going to overlap with a man named Dave Ramsey, but I want you to know that Ron and Jeannie Art Trip are not copying him. In fact, I think he copied them and just branded it better and started Financial Peace University and all of this great stuff that he makes a lot of money off of. But uh, this, is, this is Ron and Jeannie's uh, way here. They raised me to live on a principle called the 10-10-80 principle, which we've talked about here before uh, on Sundays. That means that you give 10% of your uh, finances to God, you save 10%, you live off of the other 80%. Uh, when I was young, we were able to, to work and earn our allowance. We would do things like going and getting the mail, which is a big deal in the country. It's not like 20 feet from your house, right? You're walking like a half mile by the time you go and get the the mail at the end of your mailbox. We would feed our animals. Uh, We would practice our musical instruments. And these things, you know, you'd get like five or 10 cents a day. But if you played your cards right, uh, you might be able to earn a dollar at the end of the week, right? And when you got a dollar, you would take uh, 10 cents out of that dollar. If you're keeping up with me and you're good at math, we would put that in our our pocket in our zipper ruse shoes that we had, right? We'd take that to church and put it in the bank in Sunday school and follow that, uh, that 10, 10, 80 principle. And so my parents uh, taught us at an early age to give and to save. Uh, they taught us that, that, that hard work uh, would lead to profit. They would read us that verse often. And my mom uh, stayed home for, for 17 years and, and raised us. But when she was able to, as we got older, she went back to work and, um, she decided that uh, my parents had lived off of one income and said they were going to continue to do that. And so every dollar that they made off of that second income went into savings and went toward our college expenses. But they didn't want us to be lazy. So they came to us when we got to college and they said this. They said, uh, listen, we've, we've done our research and uh, here's the, the three places that you need to go get a job. Those places were all factories that paid decent wages for college students. And they told us this, if you don't make at least 18 or eight, 825 an hour and you don't work at least 40 hours a week, now that you've graduated, you don't go to college in the fall. And every summer after that, that was the case. Now, I know what you're thinking, Mark, 825 is like minimum wage now. So I went online and I looked up an inflation calculator because some of you that are in college are laughing at me. So uh, that'd be the equivalent of making $14 an hour now. So imagine if your parents, the day you graduated, said, congrats, we're really proud of you. Now go get a job making $14 an hour, working at least 40 hours a week, 
or you can't go to college. That's, that's how it worked in the, the, the financial world of Ron and Jeannie Artrip. And they said that in the most loving way possible because we would give them every dollar that we made up where I'm from in Northeast Ohio. We call this an Amish money system, right? Where you just, you just make money and you blindly give it to your parents knowing that that system will bless you back. And so we would make a lot of money in the summer. We'd make a lot of money in school. We'd give that to our parents and, and they would just kind of make college happen, right? And we didn't ask questions, but that's what they were able to do and so they were able uh, to help myself and my younger brother, my older brother, all graduate debt-free. And I don't say that to, to brag or to, to gloat on them, but I want you to know that the, the sacrifice that they were willing to, to make for us, the financial sacrifice and the ways that they were willing to love and serve us have, have kind of ruined me financially, right? Now, sometimes you hear the word ruined and you think like, oh, that doesn't sound good. But here's what I mean by that. They've given me this this concept that, that I, need to, I need to sacrifice for my kids. And, and I have a goal to see all of them graduate from college debt-free. And even as I say that, I want to have a panic attack. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how that's possible, but that's what I want to be able to do. I'm probably just going to make them all go to Columbus State or something, but we'll tell them about that later, right? So, uh, but, but my parents were able to do this for us and to sacrifice for us. And it, it might not be easy. It might take some planning and some sacrifice, and, and it might take some thought and some hard work, but they ruined me in a very good way financially, right? They've, they've, they've shown me what it looks like to, to spoil your kids and, and to love them. And when you're ruined by something, you're never the same. When you're ruined by something, it changes the way that you think, the way that you respond, and the way that you live from that point forward. And it's my belief, as we uh, get started here today, that at the heart of Scripture— we can see that God has a heart of forgiveness for us. And God's forgiveness is shown to us through the work that Jesus did on the cross. And if we understand that forgiveness, if we fathom that forgiveness, that should ruin us going forward and it should ruin our ability and how we are able to forgive other people. It's week three of this series, Red Letters. And the reason that we're doing this series is because sadly, if you look around the world and you, you ask people, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? They would probably say things like, I think they're supposed to be really mean to certain people groups. I think they're fiscally conservative. I, I don't really know, right? And so the, the, the very mantra of, of Christ followers has been changed. We've taken it from something that means following after Jesus. We've taken it away from the words and the things that he asked us to do, and we've changed it into some other things. And so the purpose and the point of this series is simply for us to just say, what are the things that Jesus asked his followers to do in scripture? The words of Jesus are in red in most translations of your Bible. And so these are his words. We're going through kind of the five major themes of things that he asked his followers to do. And two weeks ago, we talked about this concept of being. We said that Jesus gave us this metaphor that He's the vine and, and we're the branches. And there are a lot of things that we can be consumed with. There are a lot of things that we can be obsessed with or, or busy our time with. But our only job is to stay connected to the vine. Our only job, our major job is to let him pour his life into us and for us to be there and let the vine flow into us. And last week we talked about this concept of serving Jesus said that oftentimes the world, as we look at people that are leaders, they, they like to uh, talk about their titles and they like to talk about how great they are. And Jesus, as in many different ways, came and flipped that leadership model upside down and said, if you want to be first, you need to be last. And if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. 
He said that Jesus has uh, called his followers to live at the expense of themselves as they serve others. And he said that we will seek the glory of our master at all costs and we'll seek the greater good of the people that we serve. And so the reason that we're talking about this series, Red Letters, the reason that we're talking about these things that Jesus has called us to do, we're not doing this out of religion or out of obligation. We're doing this because we want to bring glory to Jesus and we want to be thankful as we live our lives in response to him. And so I want to take us to a passage today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there in Matthew chapter 18. Maybe if you've uh, not brought a Bible, there's one under your chair behind you, in front of you. You'll see one there on the floor. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. That's the first book in the New Testament, chapter 18. If you've got one of those Bibles, it's on page 749, page 749, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. And if you know anything about Matthew chapter 18, it's a chapter that's kind of famous for confrontation, right? It's the chapter that, that, that tells believers, hey, if someone's wronged you, here's what it looks like to talk to them. Here's what it looks like to confront them. And so it's ironic that the passage that we're going to read has, has confrontation and, and that as the backdrop of, of context. Sometimes we like to look at Matthew chapter 18 and think, see, it's okay that I'm mad at this person, or it's okay that I want to yell at this person, and Jesus wants me to go yell at this person. Here's how I'm going to do it. And yet on the heels of that, we see this, this parable, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. You can read along with me. This is what Jesus says on the topic of forgiveness and forgiving. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, let me just uh, stop there. There's a running joke that I don't think I've ever gone four weeks in the history of Movement Church without referencing LeBron James from this stage. So guess what? I'm about to do it again, people. Okay. Uh, Some of you remember when our good friend LeBron left the Cleveland Cavs. He went to the Miami Heat. They did a terrible press conference, press junket thing, and they asked him and the the new big three, how many championships are you guys going to win? And he said, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. And you can see why this was not a great idea to do, right? Because he put a little bit of pressure on himself, right? But it would have been cool to say, hey, we're going to win a championship. But he, he went ahead and raised the bar and he said, oh, we're not going to win one. We're going to win two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it's the same thing that, uh, that Peter is doing right here. He's getting ready to ask his, his rabbi. He's getting ready to ask Jesus this question. And he's going to talk about forgiveness. So he knows that, that he can kind of, he has this opportunity to look a little spiritual there. So he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now, a really good person would say like two or three times, right? So he he knows he's setting himself up here and he says seven times as if he's a a really good Christian, a great Christ follower. And then Jesus kind of takes everything and turns it on his head. As you said, he said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. What? Now you might be able to do the math in your head there. The math here is not the point. It's not 70 times seven. What Jesus is saying, however many times you want to forgive someone, however many times you've suggested, even when you're in a good mood, even when you think you're being a good Christian, even when you're trying to impress me, whatever number you can inflate this to, it's infinitely more. Jesus is saying you are called to show forgiveness at the expense of yourself at all costs. He's saying that you should show forgiveness way more than you want to naturally, way more than you think you need to, way more than you've ever wanted to. You need to extend yourself and show greater forgiveness. In fact, Jesus in this moment is prescribing kind of this limitless forgiveness from the heart. 
Jesus prescribes limitless forgiveness. So that interaction's done, right? We all feel really good. We know that we should constantly forgive people and we can go home. No, Jesus keeps going and tells a story to illustrate his point. Verse 23 says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now that's translated to millions of dollars. It's, it's, it's actually about 10,000 talents, which would have been the, the, the money of, of that day. And the, 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 the value of that currency has fluctuated through, through the years. But here's what I want you to know, because we don't spend a, a, a coin that's called a talent, right? But we hear the, the term millions of dollars and we're like, that sounds like a lot of money. This is more money than the entire tax revenue of Galilee, which is the land in the context of this story. So imagine if you owed money to someone that was more than Franklin County would collect in taxes for this whole year. Kind of depressing, right? And, and yet that's what this guy owes and that's what he's being called upon. And so verse 25 says this, he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. The fact that this man owed this money or had to take out this loan was kind of an insult to this man. The fact that he hadn't paid this debt was kind of an insult if we're being honest. And the fact that he would even suggest, give me some time, I'll pay it is even more of an insult because as we already talked about, this is not owing someone a couple hundred dollars. This is owing some, someone beyond a lifetime's wages. And to be honest, what's he gonna do? Invent Facebook? Like there's nothing that he could do that would make this amount of money. And so to even say, give me some time, I'll pay it back is kind of a further insult. And yet that's what's happening right here. And yet... His master was filled with pity because he knew what was going to happen. I mean, it it says right there, he's going to throw his wife and his children and everything he owned. He's going to take it all and seize it all and throw these people in jail. And once you do that, it's not like your family can, can work a job and responsibly pay that debt back and make up the money. If everyone you know and everyone you're connected to is also in jail because of your debt, it's not a good situation. And yet his, his master had pity on him and released him and forgave his debt. What an incredible thing, right? So this guy walks out the door and he he says, Jesus loves me and I love all of you. No, that's not what happens here. In fact, check out verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. 
This man owed millions of dollars to someone. And miraculously, he's forgiven of this incredible date that he and his family and everything that he knew and owned could never begin to pay back. And as soon as that amazing occurrence happens, he walks out the door and he gets mad at someone who owes like one millionth, one one millionth of, of what he owes. He grabs this man by the throat. He's unreasonable. And he violates the forgiveness that he's just been shown. We've got a, a big idea for the day and I want you to just be able to, to read this and think on it for a second because this story illustrates this point that forgiven people forgive people. And the reason that we, we read this story and we look at this man who was not able to show the same forgiveness that he was just shown, the reason that we laugh at him, the reason that we judge him, the reason that we think he's crazy and, and not at living out love is because he violates this principle. But guess what? This is, a, this is a parable. And so this story is meant to teach us something about ourselves and something about our world and something that we're often guilty of. And it's this. If we have known and experienced and fathomed the love and forgiveness of Jesus in our lives and in our hearts, then we'll be ruined by that. We have no choice but to turn around and show that same forgiveness to the people that we interact with. Scripture tells us that we were created in the image of God to know God. But all of us think that we know a better way and we choose our own way. And because of our selfishness and because of our sin, we're separated from God. We don't deserve to know or be in relationship with a perfect and holy God. Scripture tells us that the price of our sin and the price of our selfishness is, is not just that separation from God, but the price of that is death. But God doesn't want us to be separated from him. And so he sent his one and only perfect son, Jesus. And Jesus came to this world and and lived his life and and gave his life on the cross. And he didn't do that because he had a debt to pay. He didn't do that because he deserved it. He did that to pay the price for my sin and your sin and, and our sin. And even though we're selfish and even though we choose our own way and even though we do what we want, Jesus still loved us and still gave his life for us. And he still forgives us of the things that are in our hearts, the things that are in our lives and the ways that we've wronged him. That's the equivalent of of owing millions of dollars and owing a debt that we could never repay. Nothing that we can do can bring us back into relationship with God. But the death and burial and resurrection, the finished work of Jesus builds a cross from us, builds a bridge from us to, to God. It goes over that chasm, goes over that great divide. It gives us relationship to God the Father so that we can know him, so that we can rest in him. That's the debt that we've been forgiven. That's the debt that's been taken off of our books. That's the price that Jesus paid. And if we fathom that, we can't turn around and, and not forgive others. We'll be tempted to. There will be moments that we're not pleased with others. There will be moments that we're hurt. But if we fathom what Jesus has done for us, the way that he sacrificed for us, the way that he loved us, the way that he poured his life out for us, the way that he gave himself for us, we will be ruined and we will be changed and we must respond as forgiven people. We must respond by forgiving people and showing that same forgiveness. Verse I read this week says this, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Imagine if someone followed you around from the day you were born and just kept a record of all the wrong things you did. 
Oh, Mark, I see you're gossiping again. Well done, well done, good job. Oh, oh, Mark, did you uh, stole some money from your brother's room? Okay, just writing that down, right? Imagine at age 12 and 15 and 20 and 50, everything you've ever done wrong, every selfish thing that's ever entered your mind, every way that you've gone against God's will and chosen your own way, if there was just a record of that. Sometimes we like to think that we're pretty good people, right? Scripture tells us otherwise. And sometimes we like to build up the sins of others and and kind of forget about the things that we've done. But imagine if there was a a record. Imagine if everything you've ever done wrong was, was kept on a file and that was just piled one thing after another, after another, after another. And imagine if you're honest with yourself, how great that number is. And imagine that, that all of those things were erased. All of those things were forgiven. All of those things are forgotten. The minute that you place your hope and your trust in Jesus, the minute that you surrender your life to him and say, Jesus, I can't close this gap between me and God, but your death paid the price. And so I'm trusting you. I'm living my life for you just like you gave your life for me. And in that moment, when we make that decision, imagine that record is erased and all of those things are taken away and all of those things are gone. Imagine the debt that you've been forgiven. And then imagine walking out of that interaction and saying, oh, that person, yeah, they, uh, they got the job I wanted. So I'm going to be a jerk to them for the rest of their life. Oh, yeah, their kid made varsity and my kid didn't make varsity. And then they talked bad about me. So just forever, I'm going to talk bad about them. Oh, we had like a thing in 11th grade. And I know we're 40 now, but guess what? I still hate them. Imagine all of the ways that we don't show people the same forgiveness that has been extended to us. That's why at the end of this story, this master says, listen, if if you're not able to show people forgiveness, you don't really understand forgiveness. And so our ability to fathom what Jesus has done for us is linked to our ability to forgive people. In fact, kind of what what proves our salvation or what what really shows the, the assurance of our salvation is how we can show forgiveness to other people. Because if you can't extend forgiveness to someone else, this, this story is calling into question, can you really, really fathom what Jesus has forgiven you of? If you can say, oh, Jesus, forgive me. I, I, I need you. I need you. And then you can't extend that same grace to others. Do you really understand what he's done for you? Forgiven people forgive people. Yes, that's a really smooth statement. Yes, I should probably get a raise for coming up with it, but that's not the point, okay? The point is, the point is this, that that should take root in our hearts. That's not just made to to sound good. It's the truth. If you're forgiven, if you understand how much you've been forgiven, if you understand where you would be without the sacrifice of Jesus, if you understand the path of your life and where you were headed, that you were separated from God and you were walking toward death and Jesus erased all of that and changed all of that, you should be changed by that and I should be changed by that. And the way that we interact with people and the way that we interact with the world and the way that we treat people and the way that we show forgiveness should look different. And if it doesn't, I've got to wonder if we really understand what took place when we were forgiven. Forgiven people, forgive people. Here's some other verses from scripture. Luke 6.37 says, forgive others and you will be forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
It's amazing when we talk about the topic of forgiveness, the case that we begin to build in our minds and in our hearts. Well, yeah, but, but Mark, you don't know what was done to me. You don't know what they did. You don't know how bad this offense was. You don't know how much it changed my life. They're not even sorry. And I don't mean to represent this topic or represent Jesus or represent myself or movement today and say that, that there's not a, a lot of weight to the decision to forgive someone. I know that there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of context that surrounds a lot of people's situations a lot of years, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Some people have stories of abuse and things that have been done to them, and I don't mean to make light of any of that. But I think that Scripture is pretty clear, and Jesus is pretty clear that we are called to forgive people as we have been forgiven. That doesn't mean that you forget something. That doesn't mean what they did is right. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that you're letting go of that. You're saying that what Jesus has done in your life and in your heart is bigger than anything that can be done to you. Doesn't mean that that person is not guilty. It doesn't mean that there should not still be natural consequences. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that we are called to be people of forgiveness. Imagine if you could just do an interview on the street and say, hey, what's a Christian? And people would say, oh, they're uh, super loving, super forgiving, super generous. They're always doing what Jesus says. They're, they're connected to the vine. Imagine if that's what was said about Christ followers. Because what's said about Christ followers is uh, they love to pick it and uh, they're, they're fiscally conservative and they always vote for this one party and they don't seem to like a lot of people. Imagine if Christ followers were known for the things that Jesus asked us to do and the things that Jesus asked us to be known for. Forgiveness is one of those things. So I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. I'm not saying that it happens in 10 minutes. But if you've been marked and transformed and changed by Jesus, your life and your heart should be working toward forgiving. So here's some questions for us today just as we close. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to speak with? We often talk about next steps here. And sometimes I think as we talk about next steps, it's like, okay, I think I'm supposed to sit here and feel bad and then pray about it. And the reality is that sometimes there's a next step that that God is calling you to. And that's actually speaking with a real person because the person that you probably haven't forgiven has a name and a phone number and a story and, and history with you. So it might not apply to every situation, but my guess is it does for many. And so who do you need to forgive and who do you need to speak with? So you might have to reach out to someone that you haven't spoken to for years or for months or someone that you've learned to avoid or someone that you see, but you don't talk about what took place. You might need to address that. It might just be forgiving them in your own heart. It might be speaking to them because there's something there that that needs addressed. Next part here is who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to apologize to? We're told that we're supposed to love and pray for and forgive our enemies. And so you might consider this person an enemy. You might detest this person. If I'm being honest, by our, by our world's economy, they might deserve to be detested, right? But that's not what you're called to as a Christ follower. And so if you've been forgiven, you're called to forgive them. And so who do you need to speak to? Who do you need to call up today? Who do you need to text? Who do you need to find on Facebook and send a message to? How do you need to reach out to this person? And who do you need to pray for? 
When we pray, we're, we're changing our heart to align with God's heart. And I promise you, scripture tells us this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus gave his life and was forgiving us long before we ever felt sorry, long before we were ever saying, oh, I, I need you, Jesus. He was, he was already working in his economy to forgive us. So maybe you need to spend some time praying and just align your heart with God so that you can feel compassion for that person and you can extend to them the same forgiveness that you've, you've been shown. And how are you going to apologize to them? It's fun, the, the narratives that we build up in our mind and our heart. I had someone a couple of years ago that I was really mad with. And, and as God began to bring that to my heart, I felt like God was saying, hey, you need, to, you need to go visit them and apologize. And I'm like, apologize? Excuse me, God? Do you remember what they did? And, and God kind of reminded me, hey, you know that you're half of that relationship, right? There's them and you. There's two people and you're one of them. And thought, thanks for nothing, God, right? That's, that's not what I wanted to know. But sometimes God is saying, is your life marked by humility? Is your life marked by forgiveness? I'm not responsible for their half of the relationship. I'm not responsible for their humility. I like to think I am, right? I'm like, I'm going to be such a jerk that it's going to humble them, right? That's, that's how Mark's economy works. And that's not how life works. So you're responsible for your half of the relationship. You're responsible for your half of forgiveness. Have you forgiven them? Have you prayed for them? Have you spoken to them? Have you asked for forgiveness? Or have you apologized to them? And yeah, you might not be 50% guilty. You might be 10% guilty. You might be 1% or 0%. That's what you're telling yourself. So let's just pretend you are 0% guilty, right? They still need to see humility and forgiveness from you because you're representing what it looks like to follow Jesus. Here's the last one here. What step do you need to take so that your life and heart and actions are marked by forgiveness? That's, that's really our question today. Today's not about making us feel guilty. Today's not about crying a little bit here and then going and celebrating with your mom. Today is about saying, what have I done to not honor Christ and reflect Christ with my life? Is there someone at my job that, that I've just got beef with? Is there a sibling or a sister-in-law or someone that there's been awkwardness in our relationship for years? Is it someone that you went to college with? Is it, is it a neighbor? Who is the person that hasn't seen forgiveness from you? And then just ask yourself, do you understand, do you fathom you completely get the, the forgiveness that Jesus has shown you because forgiven people forgive people. And so if you've been marked and changed by the forgiveness of Jesus, you will turn around and show that to the world. Even if it gets you upset, even if it's difficult to do, even if it's not convenient, you will extend grace and forgiveness to people because that's what's been shown to you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his act of grace and mercy to forgive us, Lord, when we don't deserve it. God, thank you that that is our standard. That is what we're called to. God, thank you that we are forgiven and we are changed. Lord, in your economy, it's not our job to play judge and jury, but it's It's our job to forgive because we've been forgiven. And so, Lord, help us 
to show the world grace and peace and mercy because you've shown the same things to us. Lord, if we want to say that we're changed, we have to act different. We have to act changed. And so we want to do that. Lord, some of us carry heavy scars and heavy burdens and things that have been with us for many, many years. Lord, we're we're not saying that those things are right by forgiving people. We're not saying that the scars go away, but we're saying that we're called to let our lives look like you and to let our hearts look like your heart. And so we want to do that. God, give us clear action steps. Give us next steps. Help us to know what to do today so we can live out the red letters that you speak in scripture. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.